If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I did get those batteries in place, so the, the mic is working now. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. So uh, just to give you a little bit of a recap, if you, if you notice, you're able to watch and to see the things that are, are happening. Um, in, in the week, we have our sermon recap or sermon preparation video. Uh, where you can look and see the filler between last week, which was 1 Samuel chapter 3, where Samuel was called by God, called to, to be in his service. And then this, sermon, this week, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 5. There's a whole chapter between there. And what happens there is very important for where we are today. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap, much more brief. So uh, the, the Philistines and the people of Israel have been at war with each other. And at the, at the beginning of this chapter, of chapter 4, they suffer a loss to the Philistines, 4,000 people. And so the elders of Israel gathered together. So how are we going to fix this problem? How are we going to make sure that we don't lose in battle? Well, we're going to bring the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, out with us to battle. Uh, this is something that has happened before. We see how God has fought on behalf of His people as they came into the Promised Land. And so I guess they thought it was good to do that in and of themselves, to make the decision to bring the Ark of the Covenant out into battle. Now... Uh, Hophni and Phinehas were the two sons of Eli that we heard last week were rejected by God. And it was prophesied they would die on the same day. Now, guess who brings and comes with the Ark of the Covenant? Hophni and Phinehas. So it said all of the people of Israel had heard the word of Samuel. If you had heard that, are you going to be comforted by their presence on the battlefield? I would not. To know that God's hand is against these two people... And here they come with the Ark of the Covenant. The other thing that shows is their blasphemy of the Lord. They knew what the Ark of the Covenant was. It was set away in the Holy of Holies to once a year they would go in and to make the sacrifice where they would sprinkle the, the blood on the, the mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of their sins as they were commanded to do. And instead, they are complicit with it being used as a weapon of their own choosing. God did not tell them to bring the Ark of the Covenant out. They decided to do it. So they lost the first time with 4,000 people dying in battle. The second battle resulted in slaughter. 40,000 people died that day. And the Ark of the Covenant was captured. And Hophni and Phinehas were among the two that died. And when Eli heard of it, he died as well. So that's where we pick up. The people of Israel have suffered a great loss. The, the sign of their covenant with God has been captured by the Philistines, and they are taking it uh, to their place, into the house of, the house of Dagon. Dagon, Dagon, however you feel like pronouncing it. But uh, now that might lead us to where our title of the sermon, you may have looked at and thought it was a little curious. God and the Little Mermaid. Um, it has nothing to do with the fact that the Little Mermaid is getting a re-release in live action, but... D Dagon, the god of the Philistines, do you know what he was? Half fish, half human. That was the god they worshipped. And so technically he's a merman, but it feels a little better to, to call it God and the Little Mermaid. So I think you'll remember it as we get into our scripture today. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashad. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and put it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashad rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face, for, face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. 
So they took Dagon and put, his, put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashad to this day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for this time that we can come together, that we can look at your word, that we can look and see what it says to us, what it says to our life. God, I pray that you would help us to just um, be aware of ourselves, to be able to look at our hearts, to look at our lives, and to see accurately the way we follow you and how we follow you, if it lines up with your word, and how we should live in faithfulness to you. God, I pray that you'll be with us this morning and we can see your word and we can see what you would have us to do today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see from this passage is that our understanding of God matters. Our understanding of God and our understanding of who he is matters greatly. And from this passage, we see very clearly the Philistines' understanding of God and how mistaken they are in who God of Israel is. So in chapter 4, as they're coming to this, when they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the camp, there's a great cry and the people of Israel are very excited. They get kind of worked up. They're ready to go. They're ready to go to battle because the, the Ark of God is with them. They believe because of that that the presence of God was with them and that God will fight on their behalf. Shows that they don't have a very good understanding of God as well. We'll get to that. So they say, the Philistines, it says, they said that they, they, a God has come into the camp. Little G God. A God has come into the camp. Okay, so here's what they, the first thing we see they understand. They think that God is an object. It's a physical thing that they can, can, can look at and, and, and hold to. And, and to be fair, God did give them the Ark of the Covenant as a sign of His presence to them, as a sign of, of Him being with them. But it doesn't guarantee. It's not a, an idol to be used. It's not a, a totem to be brought in and, and to have God's will with them. So they thought it was a God like theirs or any other. A God has come into the camp. And then they say, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. So they had heard of the God of the Israelites. They had heard what he had done, bringing them from Egypt and their slavery and their bondage in Egypt, how he had freed them from their bondage. So they'd heard about what the Lord had done. They also knew what God had done in their midst. We talked about how 1 Samuel follows the book of Judges, where there were a series of people that were raised up as leaders in Israel. Now, who is probably one of the most famous judges that we all know the story of? Samson. Right. Samson, at least in my mind, one of the most famous judges. You could say maybe Gideon. We've, you've probably heard a lot of the stories, but Samson. Well, Samson, when he was captured, was taken. And this is what it says in Judges 16, 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And so here's what we see how history often will repeat itself. They thought that they had won a victory against the God of Israel because they had captured Samson because of his disobedience and his sin. And they have him there. So they make a sacrifice to Dagon. But what ends up being what God does among them? Samson's strength is renewed and they're crushed while worshiping 
Dagon. So they've already seen how the Lord has prevailed against them and has worked in their midst. And they also said, how, who can prevail against these mighty gods? They thought there were multiple gods. They had a pantheon of gods. Dagon was maybe the head of their pantheon, but they worshipped other gods. Then they say, Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. And this shows that they clearly did not know who they were dealing with. Who could stand against Israel if the Lord were fighting on their behalf? No one. They thought if they acted like men, if they took it upon themselves, they just worked a little harder, they could stand in the face of God. Now they did prevail this day, but that was because the Lord was not with Israel in this moment. He was not fighting on their behalf in this battle. Their success was dependent on God's lack of involvement with the situation. Okay, so the Philistines don't understand who God is very well. So they capture the ark of God and they viewed the Ark of God to, as a trophy to be taken from war. They take the Ark of the Covenant, they take the Ark of God, and they set it up, maybe thinking that they would fight on their behalf. They took it, they, they set it up in the house of Dagon, or Dagon. So what do you think of when you think of God? And this shows how the Israelites had a little bit of a, an improper view of God as well. Do you think of God as a good luck charm of sorts? Someone that Maybe before you have you know, a, a test result you're going to hear or before you go into work on a hard day, you have something significant coming up in your life, you just say a little prayer. That little prayer is your good luck charm, right? We, you know, people talk about, you know, I'm not superstitious, I'm just a little stitious. You ever heard that? And we've all have, have fallen victim to that at times. You know, there were times where when I was playing baseball and I, I hit really well and I had two pairs of, of, uh, of compression shorts I would wear and if I, hit, if I was hitting really well, I would just make sure I wore only the one pair. One was black, one was gray. And uh, I washed them, okay? I did wash them. But I just, we're creatures of habit. We like to do things. We like to, uh, to look at things and like, well, I feel more comfortable in this. I'm going to wear this. It makes me feel good about what's going on. Do you treat God that way? As this comfort, this idea that, well, if, as long as I just say a little prayer, I'll be all right. If I say a little prayer, it'll be okay. Is it your get-out-of-jail-free card? Or, or your insurance policy. This idea, well, I know that I shouldn't do these things. I know that I shouldn't act in this way. I know that I shouldn't do those things. But at the end of the day, if I, even if I do it, God will still love me, which is true. But it's a terrible way of looking at God. God is not there to be your backup plan. God is not there to be your insurance policy that if everything goes wrong, he'll bail you out. He will, but that is not how we ought to view God. Or is he like a genie? that you go to with your wishes, grant my command. Uh, God, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to petition you. Please grant my command. And this is where we see how the people of Israel had, in some ways, a misunderstanding of who God was. They had seen how, as they entered the promised land, God fought on their behalf, how God did things that no one else can do. The, the walls of Jericho come down, and God was with, with them. But why? Because the Lord chose to do those things. What did they do in this passage? Well, you know what? We lost. You know, when God's on our side, he, he seems to help us win. Let's bring the ark of God into the, into the battle, and I guess we'll win. They saw him as something to use as a weapon on their behalf. They saw God as someone to be used, not someone to be worshipped. 
And that's the Israelites' misunderstanding. The Philistines, in the same way, don't understand that the God of Israel is different than the gods they serve. Or do you treat God as He really is, the God who created all things? Do you approach God as someone that we serve or someone who can serve us? So what do we learn from their misunderstanding of who God is? We learn we must be aware of how our prior understanding affects our understanding of who God is. Every prior understanding of of how we've been told who God is, of how we've interacted with the world, will affect the way we understand who God is. The Philistines thought He was like their gods. When they hear that the God of Israel has come into the camp, the only frame of reference they have is that a God like their gods has come into the camp. If you go share the gospel in a faraway country where they worship a pantheon of thousands of gods, if you go to India, they worship thousands of gods, and you tell them that you believe in God, they'll be like, yeah, me too, a lot of them. You will have to understand, you'll have to share and to, to show the distinctions between the gods they worship and the living God of the Bible. So your prior understanding affects your understanding of who God is. Everything we experience in life builds a picture of who we think God is. Have you ever had something uh, explained to you or described to you uh, only to realize it kind of falls short of what you've been described? And when I was younger, I think I was in, in high school, there was a person that, that was telling me, man, the movie The Titanic is the best movie ever. They told me this over and over and over again. And when I finally watched it, I was like, I mean, it's a movie. But it wasn't what they made it out to be. Maybe you've gone to the restaurant and it, it just wasn't quite what you were told it was going to be. Maybe you've met a person and, the, oh, this person's perfect for you. And then they weren't quite what you thought they were going to be. How many times do we have things built up only to let us down? The thing when it comes to understanding who God is, is it is the exact opposite. Everything you have been told about God pales in comparison to the truth of who He actually is. Every truth you hear about God, even if it's been taught to you in church your whole life, your understanding of that pales in comparison to the truth of who God is actually is. You hear that God is your father, but your father wasn't perfect. And so your view of who God as a father is, is is flawed. You you hear that God loves you, but you have heard that before and they hurt you. You hear that God will forgive you, but forgiveness has always come with preconditions. Your understanding of who God is and the way that he works is imperfect because we are imperfect. We went into great depth on Wednesday about this. I really encourage you, if you have Wednesday nights available, please join us. I think they have been very beneficial. We need to understand who God is. As He reveals Himself in Scripture as the one true living God, eternal, with no beginning, with no end, the Creator of all things, the Creator of us, as holy as our Savior. See, the problem that the Philistines faced and the problem that many of us face and many people today face is that they view God as one option among many. This is a super common view in the world today. It's fine if you want to believe in God as long as you accept and endorse what others believe as well. You can believe in God. You can worship how you want. You don't have to believe those things, but you have to endorse and accept what they believe as well. This is the prevailing secular thought about how Israel treated the God of the Bible. So if you look, as I was researching some of these things, researching some of the gods 
of the, the Philistines and the, in the, that we see in the Old Testament, they, there was someone that said how uh, the, the people of Israel created God. How they made him to be the one true living God. How That's not really how they lived for most of their life. They had this, what they I would presume to think was a wonderful and, and groundbreaking explanation that the people of Israel were really polytheistic. They served and worshipped a lot of gods, and then later they decided to be monotheistic and worship the God of the Bible. Let me tell you something. There is no surprise there. What do we see in all through Scripture? So the idea that Yahweh, the, 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 na- the name of God in the Bible, the one true God, when it's L-O-R-D, all capitals, the idea that Yahweh was just one of many gods that the Israelites followed is, is not really a secret. Because that was the thing they had to battle against the whole time that they existed. Right? Even the name Israel, one who struggles with God, kind of aptly determines and shows who they were. What is the problem that we see Israel struggle with the entire time they exist? Idolatry. They get brought out of Egypt, what happens? Moses is taking too long. I'm going to worship a golden calf. They drove the people out of the promised land. Why? Because he did, they, there would be idolatry. You see, this is the clear picture of what did happen. The people of Israel constantly left God and worshipped false idols. They constantly did this. So if you look at the history of the people of Israel, what are you going to find? They look polytheistic. They look like they worship false things because oftentimes they did. But what do we see in the Bible? They, they were deviating from what God had told them to do. There was always one true living God. And the people of Israel struggled with a relationship with God and worshipped false things. Listen to 2 Kings chapter 17. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watch tower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways that, and keep my commandments and my statutes, and in accordance with all the law that I have commanded your fathers, and that I sent you by my servants and prophets. But they would not listen but, they were, but were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave him. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. 
Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he cast them out of his sight. So this is later down the road from where we're at right now. But the people of Israel, as some secular scholars would say, oh, they were polytheistic and only later they became monotheistic. No, they constantly struggled to follow the one true God who had delivered them over and over again. And they gave themselves to worthless things. So if you look at them, they appear polytheistic. There are times in Israel's history where there are only a select handful, maybe even only one, that follow the one true God alone. So what we see here is a precursor to this. Their struggle with the Philistines eventually turns into them worshiping the gods of the Philistines. They don't understand and they don't treat God as He ought to be treated. We see that modeled first in the Philistines. And that's what the next thing that we see is what we see from this story is our treatment of God matters. Our treatment of God matters. So the Philistines took the ark and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. So they placed the God who created all things, the, the sign of his covenant, beside a mermaid. Merman. They placed the Ark of the Covenant beside the image of half man, half fish, a God that they served. So it's easy to look at these stories, to hear that, that passage from 2 Kings that I read, and be like, how do these people not get it? How do these people not get what they're doing? The Israelites have been freed from slavery and bondage in Israel, or in, in, in Egypt, and have been brought into the promised land. God fulfilled His promises, fought on their behalf, did things only He could do, sustained them in the wilderness. And they give way to idols? The Philistines, they saw this take place. They knew and they attributed to God the deliverance of His people. They had seen how God had worked among these people. So it's easy to look at them and say, how do these people not get it? But how often do we look at our lives and the lives of those around us and wonder if we truly get it? How often do people in the church look like the people of Israel? How have we forgotten at times that our God has set us free from the bondage of our sin and our shame? Delivered us from our past bondage. The ways that He was with us and sustained us in the dark places of our lives. And yet, how many times do we follow and give our time and our energy and our effort to idols that we raise up in our lives. Now maybe we're not following Dagon and, and worshiping very literally, making sacrifices to a, an idol, but an idol can be anything that takes the place or stands beside God in our lives. We worship the created rather than the Creator. The works of God are evident, but too often the reaction of, of us and others is to live as though He's not really as great as He has declared and showed Himself to be. 
So how do you treat the Lord? Does your treatment of God line up with who God is? As one of many things in your life? Or the one true living God above all others who has no equal? What idols or things that threaten to be idols can you identify in your life? Relationships? Your family relationships, good things can become idols in your life. Your, your spouse, your children, they can become idols in your life. Your work can become an idol in your life. Sports, social media, school, friends, the things you do, your hobbies, your recreation, all of these things can become idols in your life if you will place them beside God. That's what the Philistines said. They placed the Ark of the Covenant beside Dagon. What things do you value beside or over God? And I don't want you to think about what you would say because I would hope that your answer is nothing. There is nothing that I love or value as much as the Lord God who has saved me and redeemed me. I hope you'll say that. There's a lot of, a lot of studies that have come out, and there was one that came out very recently that, that shows that in, even in the evangelical circles, the most closely we align are on certain cultural viewpoints. There was, I think it was a large number, it was double digits at the very least, that said that the gods of other religions were as valid as the Lord God. Or, or that God hears the prayers of people in these other faiths. These are people in church that would claim to follow God and be an evangelical. We're not talking about people that are far, far off into distant things or would claim to be an atheist. So I don't want you to think about what you would say. How do, what does your life say? What does the way you spend your time, energy, and money say about what you value in your life? Because the way we spend our time, the way we spend our, our money, the way we spend our energy, our thought, power, on a daily basis, shows what we value. How do you spend that time? Does it show... If someone were to objectively look at it, does it show that God is the most important thing to you? Are your interactions informed by your relationship with God? Or are they informed by what you are pursuing? You see, in my life, when I was younger, I was a Christian. I was saved. I, I'm, I'm confident of that. When I was younger, when I was in middle school, before I was called to ministry, sports were absolutely an idol in my life. Baseball in particular was absolutely an idol in my life. It was who I was. The, the idea that I might go and do something great in that thing, that people would look at me and, and would, would celebrate me because of my accomplishments was something I wanted in life. And I pursued it. I spent my time doing that. It consumed who I wanted to be. And the, the greatest thing I think God could have done for me was that before He called me to ministry for a season, He took that from me. Right? We see that in, in, the, in, in that passage in 2 Kings, they have been sent into exile because they've worshipped other things. But what is that ultimately for? To bring them to repentance. To bring them to right relationship with God. And so when I was pursuing things other than God, now there's nothing wrong with baseball. There's nothing wrong with a lot of things that we make idols. But it was what I wanted more than God. And so that summer, the last game of the season, tore my arm up. Couldn't play. 
And from this period of, of wondering who I was, wondering what, what my purpose was, why I was here, from that time, God stepped in and said, I'm going to show you what you will do for me, that you will live for me and not these worthless things. You know how many times I've thrown a baseball since I graduated from high school? Very few. But my service to the Lord, I hope, will last throughout my life. And it has ramifications beyond this life. What things threaten to be idols in your life? Idols are deceptive and will promise great things only to let you down in the end. And, and idols don't always start as destructive influences. It's easy to look at people who have lived lives where they've given themselves over to things that destroy their life. Drugs or alcoholism or these terrible things that are sinful in and of themselves that destroy their life. It's the things that we have to do that when they become idols are so dangerous. You see, in many ways, the Philistines were doing what they were created to do. They were worshiping. They were just worshiping false things rather than the one who created them. And there's many things that say, or there's many speculations that the worship of some of these ancient gods didn't start as destructively as they ended up being. You read in there that some of the practices involved in these ancient religions that surrounded them involved things like child sacrifice. It's speculated it didn't start that way. But over time, when we serve idols, it becomes destructive in our lives. It doesn't make it any less abhorrent to, to serve idols rather than the one true God, but it shows the destructive influence idols have within our life. The alcoholic who's ruined his life and others probably didn't anticipate that on his first drink. The person who ends up in adultery doesn't probably think about their first interaction with that person. The person who is a workaholic and becomes an absent parent doesn't think about that while they're trying to make money for their family. But these things become idols and have destructive consequences when they are served rather than being used as a tool in our service to God. Anything that you are living for in life other than God is going to fall short. You see, in this story, Dagon literally fell before the ark of God. They place Dagon beside the ark of God, the, the, the sign of his presence with his people. They come in the next morning, what do they find? Face down before the ark of the covenant. So what do they do? The thing they shouldn't do, they set him back up. They set him back up. Have there been times where in your life you've had an idol that that God makes clear you shouldn't have there, or maybe it takes a, a period of time where you are almost freed from this, you set it back up. So they come back the next day, what do they see? Fallen face down, head cut off, arms cut off. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of funny, in, in one of the commentaries that I looked at, it talks about how the ark of God had been captured. The ark of God had been captured as though someone were able to have power and authority over who God was. The entire army and might of the Israel army could do nothing compared to what the ark of God, or God in and of himself can do. So Dagon falls face down, head cut off, arms cut off. After this passage, there is great affliction and calamity that come among the people. Tumors, are breaking out on all of the people. They don't die, but they're afflicted in great ways. So they send it to another one of their cities, and they're afflicted. You know what they ultimately do? 
they return it to the people of Israel with a sacrifice. It's like, hey, we, we kind of messed up. We can have this, you can have this back. So just like their worship of this false god fell short, anything you worship will fall short. Anything you replace God with is going to fall short in satisfying you. You cannot be satisfied by anything in other anything other than the one who created you. And the things you hold on to as something that will satisfy you will ultimately let you down. And as we mentioned, when he was placed beside this false god, the Lord showed who was God. But the problem, the ultimate problem we see here is the response of the Philistines to what God was doing. The response of the Philistines to what God is doing. Our response to God matters. So, so I told you, he falls face down. They set him up. He falls face down. His head and his arms are cut off. There's great calamity among the people. What do they do? They turn from God. They give him back to where he came from. Wouldn't you think that if this God of Israel who you'd already heard about comes among you and destroys your idol and causes calamity in your midst because of what you have done, how you have captured him from where his people, his chosen people, wouldn't you think that the response would be, maybe there is something to following this God? He displays real power in our midst. Maybe I should give my life to following him. Maybe... This is a real God that can do real things, can really change circumstances, not just for the bad as they saw, but at, for the good for those who love Him. But they don't. They turn their back on what they see and they give Him back to the people of Israel. They return the ark, with an offer, the ark to Israel with an offering. God does this time and time again throughout the Bible where He does things that only God can do. He shows up in ways that only God can show up. And there's people that will look at how God commands, people, or commands His people to move against people like the Philistines, to remove them from the land, and they'll wonder why. Well, the first thing we can see is that God is perfectly just in destroying us all at any point he, he would want to. We're guilty before Him. But do you see here the ample opportunity that the Philistines have to repent and follow the one true God? They would not give up their idols to follow God. They cling to them. And so when they are destroyed... God does it justly. They have had ample opportunity. And because he also knows that if anything should remain from their falseness, the people of God will fall into them, as they did. But he does this time and time again. People, he, he shows up, he delivers people from Egypt. He, he delivers his people. He brings them into the promised land. He does miracles among them. He shows in the, in the face of hundreds of prophets of Baal that he is the one true God. And despite this, people do not turn to him. Or they turn to him for a short period of time and then they forget. And a generation arose that didn't know the Lord. They don't tell their children. They don't teach them and raise them in the instruction of the Lord. 
Or they follow for all the wrong th- reasons. Think about when Jesus feeds the 5,000. They come to Him, hey, do a miracle. Do, do something miraculous. You don't follow Me because you believe. You follow Me because you ate your fill. They follow God for what they can get for Him. The Philistines set their idol back up and ultimately remove God from their city. They see what He's done, but they don't follow Him. They see how God has blessed those who follow Him, and yet they still reject Him. And so we look at the Philistines and the similar situations in the Bible, and we ask, how do they not get it? How have they not turned from their ways and followed God? But in reality, we look at our own lives and make sure, we have to make sure that we are not following into this same trap. Where we see the reality of God's work, the evidence of His work and His salvation in our lives, and yet we chase after worthless things. We've seen Him move in our midst. We often like to remember the, the days of old, and I like to do it too. I like to think about when I was in youth group and we had 150 kids coming on Wednesday nights. I shared this morning because I, I encouraged our youth to sit together to, to have a place where they could, could uh, you know, just be an evidence of, of God's uh, working in our youth. And I was like, we had an entire section filled with youth. But the problem is, is if we look back at what God has done and don't, don't follow Him in the present, we don't live our lives remembering those things He's done. It's easy to remember with fondness, but not follow with faithfulness. We have to follow God faithfully because of what He has done in the past, knowing He will do even more in the future. God is not a God of the past. He is a God of from beginning to end. And so we should follow Him from the moment we know we should follow Him and we followed Him to the end of time, which there will be none. We get to worship Him from for eternity. And so we have to be aware of the times in our life that we act too much like the Philistines. We see how God works. We see how worthless idols are compared to Him, but yet we choose worthless things over God. And even sadder reality, because that's an obedience problem. If you are a Christian and you do that, that's an obedience problem. It's not a salvation problem. God is not going to reject you because of your unfaithfulness. When we are unfaithful, God is faithful. God sent His people into exile, but then ultimately gave them the Messiah in a way to be saved. But the sad reality is there's so many people who are in this world who fall into the exact category of the Philistines. They do not know God, and they reject Him completely. Their fate, they stand condemned already, is what the Bible says. Because of their sin, because of the rejection of God, they stand condemned. They'll be punished. They'll go to hell. Because of their sin. But the good news is that God has made a way for those people to be saved. For those people to be redeemed. If they will repent and believe in what Jesus Christ has done for him, the ability to go from death to life because of a God that loves them. If you read what we've read today, if you see what we've seen today, and you realize just how patient God has been with his creation. Just how patient as he watched the Israelites be so silly and bring the Ark of the Covenant out when they haven't been told to. And you see the, the Philistines capture it and you see them reject him even though he's moving in their midst. And it goes back to the people of Israel who we're going to see next week. They reject God and ask for a king instead like all the nations around them. 
How patient has the Lord been with people from the beginning of time? How patient has the Lord been with each and every one of us as we have sinned and gone our own way and we, even after we come to salvation, we are disobedient. But if you sit here today and you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, what I mean by that is that you have understood your sinfulness. You know that your sin separates you from God. It, it makes you guilty before Him. And you realize that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He was the Son of God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, died on the cross for your sins, was raised again. That if you will repent from your sin, you'll believe in what Jesus has done. You can be saved. It's by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing you do. There's no effort you put into this. God is the one who saves. And if you will do that, the, the, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, is what it says in the Bible. If you have not done that, you are walking like the Philistines in the presence of God seeing His work, but choosing to go your own way. And God will allow you to, but it's at your own peril. God has been patient with you. And He has brought you to a place where you are in His presence. You have, are hearing of how to be saved. And I would implore you today, if you don't know Him, to turn and give your life to Christ. It's not about what you do. It's not about how you were raised. It's not about whether you were raised in church, whether you have tried to do the right things. It's about what, whether you have believed in Jesus Christ. In the end of that passage I was quoting, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So if you are a Christian, live like you have been saved. Don't revert to worthless things. Remember what the Lord has done and live your life based upon those things. Becky's going to come and we're going to have a time where you can move. You can respond to what the Lord is doing in your life. If you know Him, Repent of any ways you follow worthless things. Repent of those things and follow Him alone. And if you don't know Him this morning, if you have never been saved, if you have questions about whether you've been saved, maybe you've grown up in church and you don't really know, I'll be down front and I would love to talk to you this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. We thank You for Your incredible patience and mercy that You have and and bearing with our disobedience, and bearing with the, the blasphemy against Your, your holiness and your, your glorious nature. God, I pray that You'd be with us this morning, that we would move in response to You, that we would see what You have done, both in, in the Bible, we would see what You've done in our lives, we'd see what You're doing right now among us, and that You would help us to move in response to that. In obedience, in, in, in right movement, not to reject you and turn away as the Philistines did, but to embrace you and to repent of our wronghood, to, uh, repent of our sins and to follow you. Lord, I pray that today, if there are Christians today who are following you in ways where they, their, their lifestyle and the things they're doing aren't honoring you, aren't the way you would have them to live, that they would repent and they would be in submission to you. Lord, I pray that if there are people who do not know you this morning, that for the very first time they would not be like the Philistines and reject you and turn their back on what you are doing, but would turn and to see what you've done and believe and be saved. Be with us now. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.